You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we're in part six of our series called In the Heights. We're studying the New book, uh, New Testament book of Colossians, and we've been talking about this idea of a higher view of Jesus for a new perspective on life. I've got good news for you this morning, church. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you had a flooded basement or had a crazy week or having a difficult season in your marriage or your finances, let me just encourage you. I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you this. If you get a higher view of Jesus, you're going to get a new perspective on life. Come on, somebody. It'll give you clarity. It'll give you peace. It'll help you figure out your priorities. And so that's what we're after in this series. So we've been reading through the book of Colossians together. It's this little tiny book in the New Testament. Every week we've been reading. How many of you have been keeping up with your summer reading and reading through Colossians with us? Anybody? I don't see. I only see a few hands going up. All right. I'm starting to feel like that teacher on the first day of school. Like, did you do your summer reading? All right, well, you have an opportunity to get back on track and finish out. So this week's assigned reading is to read Colossians chapter 4. Okay, we're going to finish out strong. Maybe you've never read the whole book of Colossians. Uh, It's just four chapters. Read through Colossians chapter 4, and you'll be ready for next week. Next Sunday, we're going to land the plane with the final installment of this series. So thanks for reading along with us. So let me remind you that Colossians was written from a place and for a purpose. From a place and for a purpose. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Most scholars agree that he was under house arrest, most likely in Rome. And he was writing to this group of Christians living in this ancient Roman city of Colossae. Now, these these Christians, this church, these Colossians, they were wrestling with this question, is Jesus enough? Let me just remind you, we've talked about this the past few weeks, but they were experiencing some outside pressure that was influencing them and causing them to kind of doubt their faith and ask this question, is Jesus enough? And some of you might find yourself asking that question today, maybe even subconsciously, is is Jesus enough for my situation? Is Jesus enough for the health struggles I'm going through right now, for my financial struggles, for this strained relationship? Is Jesus enough? And Paul answers by writing this letter with a resounding yes. And he spends the first half of this letter reminding the Colossians, and I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminding us today of who Jesus is. He reminds them that Jesus is sovereign. He's the son of God. He's not just the savior. He's the creator. If you got Jesus, you have everything. So that's what the first part of the letter is about. And then today, as we get to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, that's what we're going to look at today, we're going to see a shift as Paul begins to describe how Christians should live in light of what Christ has done. Come on, he wants to help us connect the dots. So he spends the first half of the book like, this is who Jesus is, and then he makes a shift and says, okay, now if Jesus really is who you profess to believe he is, then this is how you should live. Because how many of you know that Christianity isn't just about information, but it's about transformation? Oh, that's a good spot to say amen. I know the caffeine is still kicking in this morning, but I need you to help me, right? Christianity is not just about information. It's not enough to just know about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. Come on. It's one thing to know about him. It's another thing to know him. And so Paul wants us to connect the dots today. If I could summarize these verses in one statement, I'd put it this way. I'd say out with the old and in with the new. Come on, say that with me this morning. Out with the old and in with the new. 
Okay, it's back to school time right now in the Ziegler house and for many of you. And so we're throwing a lot of old things out, right? I have three boys and we got a lot of old shoes. How many boy parents do we have in here? Boys go through shoes. Like I have to work a side job just to keep my kids like in shoes, right? So I got some old funky shoes here. These are my old Nikes. These are over a decade old. So this is out with the old, okay? So we're, we're throwing out, we're giving away clothes that don't fit anymore and clothes that are beat up and shoes that are, you know, really bad. So we're throwing those out. And then it's in with the new. I got this nice, clean pair of fresh Air Force Ones here, okay, as a visual for you. This is your visual. Out with the old, right? In with the new. I'm going to just set these up here today as, our, as a visual for us. So, yeah, that's, that's the idea, right? We want to let go of the old and embrace the new, the new life that we find in Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to give you four truths to help you embrace New Life in Christ from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I want to invite you to take some notes. If you don't have the Redemption app, you can get that at our website. There's a spot on our app where you can take notes every week. Here's the first point. Are you ready? Say, Pastor, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Point number one, live from above. We're talking about four truths, how to embrace new life in Jesus Christ. Number one, Paul says, live from above. What does that mean? Let's look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul says, live from above. Live from above. Look at this again in in verse one. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ because of that, because of all that Jesus has done, because of all that I've reminded you of that Jesus has done in these opening chapters, I want to encourage you, set your heart on things above. So here Paul circles back to something that he reminded the Colossians of earlier in in, in the letter. He reminds them that in, in Christ, you died to the old sinful you, and you were raised to new life in him. A few weeks ago, we talked about the, the imagery of baptism, right? Paul talked about baptism. And what happens in baptism is we go into the waters, and when we go down into the waters, we're identifying with the death of Jesus. We die to the old sinful nature, to the old sinful us, and then we're raised to new life in Christ. When we come up out of the water, it signifies that we are a new person. And so Paul says, like, you died. You died to the old you. Now, obviously, you are not physically dead. You're alive. You're here. You have a pulse. Some of you drink some coffee today. Your pulse is starting to pick up. You're starting to awake, right? And so Paul is making a spiritual point here that you, you now live in a new reality. You live from above. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was out in the great state of Montana for a pastor's retreat, and I've gone out there a couple times now, and uh, when I go to Montana, I embrace my inner cowboy. I'm telling you, like, I'm a city boy, but when I get out there, like, I shoot guns, I fish, I listen to country music, like, I love it. I have a blast, and and if I moved out there, I'm telling you, I would become, like, a cowboy so fast. I'd have a hat, I'd have the mullet, like, the, the handlebar mustache, everything, all right? Because there's just something about it out there. Love it. But when I'm out there, okay, the locals look at me, and you can tell who the locals are in Montana, and you can tell who are the people who just stepped off the plane from New York. When the locals see me in my skinny jeans and my Nikes, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, you might be here, but you're not from here. 
Come on, they can pick me out really quick. I went into a little cafe one day, and you could tell they're looking at you like, you might be here, but you're not from here. Here's what Paul would say to us today, church. He would say, you might be here, but you're not from here. Like, you live in overlapping, in overlapping worlds. You may live on this earth, but you're a citizen of heaven. Jesus said, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. Your new orientation is, is heaven. So set your heart and your mind on things that are above. Like we don't have to think like this fallen world thinks. We don't have to live like this fallen world lives. We don't have to have our hearts get caught up in the, in the things that, that people in this world get caught up in. We're called to live from above. I'd put it this way. You're called to rise above it, not get caught up in it. Come on, somebody. You're called to, to rise above it, not get caught up in it, whatever your it might be. There are all kind of situations around us every day where we can get pulled down into it. How many of you know someone who's always trying to suck you into their drama? Hopefully, they're not sitting next to you. Don't elbow them. That's not nice. Come on. We all know somebody, right? Somebody we're friends with on social media, somebody in our neighborhood, somebody in our circle of friends, one of our coworkers. They're always getting caught up in drama. And you know what it is about people who are always caught up in drama? They don't like to be lonely. They want you to come down into the drama with them, right? Yeah, there's always somebody, somebody like that caught up in it, and they're trying to suck you, you down into it. Let me just tell you, we need this perspective right now. We need this truth right now because the world is a crazy place right now. I mean, it's like we, we're still going through this pandemic. We're having hurricanes in New York. Hello, I grew up in Louisiana. I dealt with hurricanes my whole life. I thought I left that behind. We got hurricanes. We got this crisis in Afghanistan. Then we all have our own personal problems, right? We got our own financial challenges. You've got your, you've got what you've got going on your life, whatever it is. We have things that we have to take care of, people we got to deal with, bills we got to pay. How many of you know it's easy to get caught up in it? But Paul would say, come on, set your heart and your mind on things above. You're called to rise above it, not get caught up in it. And some days I forget that. And some days you forget that, right? But when I get this perspective, every now and then when the Holy Spirit gives us these little wake-up calls and reminds us, he gives me the perspective of eternity. He reminds me that I have a calling on my life. I have a mission. I'm a citizen of heaven. It just changes my whole perspective. So that's point number one. You're called to live from above. Come on, turn to somebody and say, live from above. Help me preach this morning. Tell them, live from above. All right, here's the second thing. We're talking about four truths to embrace new life in Christ. Number two, die to your old self. Die to your old self. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Look at what Paul says. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry, by the way, means when you worship anything before God. When you put anything, prioritize anything before God, that becomes an idol in your life. That's idolatry. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Come on, we love the fact that God is a gracious God, but he's also a righteous God. He's a God who will put things right, and one day he's going to return. Look at verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And no, that doesn't just mean little curse words. That means language that is destructive. And so here's what Paul says. Point number two, die to yourself. Die to the old sinful you. Look at what Paul says in verse five. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly 
nature. Like Paul calls us to put to death the things that represent our old fallen, sinful nature. This is more than Paul saying, I want you to try really hard to be a nice little Christian and don't do this list of bad things because if you don't do these bad things, you'll be good with God. That is not what Paul is saying. Some of you grew up in a religious atmosphere, in a church tradition where that's what it was all about. You know, here's your list of things to try to do. Here's the list of bad things. You should be a really good Christian and that'll make you right with God. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, put to death the things that represent the old you because that's not even who you are anymore. Come on, I want to encourage somebody this morning because you know what happens when we sin? The enemy loves to get in our ear and get in our head and he loves to remind us and condemn us and tell us that, that that's who you are. But did you know it's the Holy Spirit that wants to whisper to you and say, that's not even who you are anymore? Do you know the scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts us in righteousness? That means he doesn't accuse you. He reminds you of who you actually are in Christ. Oh, I'm going to help somebody today. You're going to get there, I promise you. I'm going to help you because for some of you, here's, what, here's how you're wired. You're wired to believe that the sin is who you really are. You come to church on a Sunday morning and you're very mindful of the ways that you fell short this week and you feel like, man, I'm here and I'm kind of posing like I'm really not a faithful child of God. I'm really the sinner. And, and what Paul would say is, no, 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 that's the attack of the enemy. The truth is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So the sinner is actually who you're not. The sin is actually who you're not. The child of God is actually who you really are and the sin no longer defines you. That's what Paul would say to us here. And then Paul gives us these two major categories of sin to pay attention to, sexual sins and sins of anger. Now think about this. He's writing to the Colossians 2,000 years ago, right? And it's amazing how relevant this is for, for our time. You know, they were living in this ancient Roman city. How many of you know the Romans weren't exactly known for their high moral standards? <laughs> Do you remember history class? Have you watched anything about Rome on, the, on Netflix, right? Like the Romans were a decadent, like immoral people. They're living in this culture. And it's amazing how fast forward almost 2,000 years later, how relevant this list of things that Paul tells us to, to be careful about, how relevant it is for our lives. Come on, these are, these are two really relevant areas. And these are two areas where the culture is trying to influence us as Christians, just like the culture was trying to influence the, the Colossians, like the culture's pushing on us. How many of you know culture changes, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So don't let culture set your morals. Yeah, come on, somebody. Don't let culture set your morals. Culture changes, but the word of God stands. And so let's talk about sex. I'm thinking about that song, you know, salt and pepper. Let's talk about sex. So our, we know our culture's view. Our culture says do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, Right? The Christian view says, no, 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 sexuality is sacred. Like, sex isn't just something you do or you have. It's part of who you are. You're a sexual being made in the image of God, and so your sexuality is sacred. It's not a commodity to be used. It's not a commodity to be gained. It's a gift to be given. To It's expressed in the covenant of marriage in which we fully give ourselves to our spouse as an expression of love, and it's a beautiful thing. Can I get an amen, married people? Hallelujah for the gift that keeps on giving. Merry Christmas to you. Some of y'all waking up, finally. It's a beautiful thing, and our world like distorts this, right? Come on, don't let the culture influence your thinking. We've got to renew our minds constantly in this area. This is a beautiful, sacred thing that the people of God have been given as a gift from God. And then Paul talks about anger. Oh, hello, here's another one that's relevant in, in our culture because we're living in the age of cancel culture. 
I'm right, you're wrong, you're canceled. Like we're living in an age that celebrates anger. You may not have thought about it that way, but cancel culture is just another way of of describing a culture that celebrates anger. I have a right to be angry about what they did, what they didn't do. I'm going to post about it on social media. I'm going to shame them. I'm going to call them out. I'm going to cancel them. Like that is the culture we're living in. Like our culture celebrates your right and my right to be offended. Hello, it's America, and I have a right to be offended. Offended at everybody about everything. Come on, Paul said you're called to rise above it, not get caught up in it. We don't need more cancel culture. We need more kingdom culture. And then somebody, like, we need the culture of grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. Aren't you thankful that God didn't cancel you? Aren't you thankful that the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He didn't cancel you. He forgave you. He gave you grace. And so we we need to get a hold of this. Come on, New Yorkers. Come on, New Yorkers. We have a little bit of a reputation for this around the country of having an edge on us, right? People angry about everything. Angry in the subway. Angry on Grand Central. Angry in the grocery store. Angry fighting you for a parking spot. No, no, no. I'm not fighting you for anything because I died to the old me, and it's hard to fight with a dead person. This is what Paul is saying. Like you die to your old self. How many of you want help with your anger issues? Anybody? Come on, we're going to have a group therapy session this morning in church. Anybody want help? Seriously, because we all have good, good days and bad days. Anybody with me? I know y'all are more spiritual than me. But sometimes in one week, you have really good days where you have victories. And then some days you have bad days. I'm a married man with a wife and three boys. I have plenty of opportunities to lose my patience, right? And I give my family plenty of opportunities to lose their patience, their temper, I want to give you one simple thought that's going to help you. It's simple, but it's profound. If you want to manage, help you manage, help you have a breakthrough in the area of anger, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Get into the presence of God and begin to thank God for his goodness. I have rarely lost my temper and sinned in the category of anger when I've been in the presence of God. When I've gotten up in the morning and begin to thank God for his goodness, when I've been mindful of his goodness. So there you go. I just saved some of you guys a lot of money from going to a counselor today to work on your anger issues. Just try this first. Get into the presence of God and practice gratitude and see how it shifts your perspective. All right, Paul continues. He he talks about this list of sexual sins and anger sins, and then he keeps going in verses 9 through 11. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. In other words, you are made in the image of God, and the image of God is being renewed in you as you walk with Christ. And then look at verse 11. He says, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Talked about that a few weeks ago. Barbarian, Scythian, slaver, free, but Christ is all and is in all. So let's talk about this. I love what Paul says in verse 9 and 10. He gives us this word picture, this imagery. He says, you have taken off your old self with its practices. That's the old sinful fallen nature. And you have put on the new self. I love this imagery of like changing outfits. Come on, where are the fashionistas at in the house? I'm speaking your language today. So Paul's saying, why would you go back to this? These are my old funky Nikes. I've had, these got to be over 10 years old. I cut the grass in these, okay? I would not wear these out on a Friday night on a date night with my wife. They're beat up. They got holes in them. They're dirty. There's probably something nesting in here. They've been sitting in the garage. I should have checked it, make sure there's not a squirrel in there or something. These are, I wouldn't wear these out, right? Why would I wear these when I got a fresh, clean pair of these right here? Now, that's something you can wear out on a Friday night, right? 
Like Paul's saying, why would you go back to the old when God has made you new? He's washed you clean. He's given you this. Don't go back to that. I'm going to put these right here as a nice visual for some of you. Some of you sneaker people are like feeling the anointing this morning. <laughs> Paul says, take off the old and put on the new. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine that you were a beggar on the streets. You know, you have nothing. You dress like a beggar in tattered clothes. Can you imagine that you, you get news that you find out one of your long-lost relatives is a very wealthy person and they, they left you an inheritance and it changes your life? Now, imagine you've come into an inheritance, but you keep dressing like that beggar. Why would you do that? That's Paul's point here. Take off the old and put on the new that actually matches who you are. Are. See, the more I live in touch with who I actually am in Christ, the more I live in touch with the new self, the less power sin has over me. Once again, this isn't try really hard to be a really good Christian. This isn't try hard to not do the bad stuff and just do the good things. No, no, no. You don't overcome sin by trying harder. You overcome sin through inner transformation, through a changed heart. Overcoming sin is just the byproduct of a changed heart. Are you with me? Like as God begins to do a new work in you, he's changing you from the inside out. How many of you know religion is about outside in? I'm going to outwardly conform. I'm going to jump through all these hoops. I'm going to do all of these things to win God's approval. And, and the gospel comes along and flips that on its head and says, no, no, it's about Jesus Christ doing for you what you could never do for yourself, which changes you on the inside. It's about you identifying with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that puts to death the old you raises you to new life and changes you from the inside out. And that's where you begin to get victory over sin. And some of you might be thinking, well, pastor, I hear you, but I've been walking with Jesus for a few years now and I still have temptations. You know, and I still do lose my temper every now and then. And, and I sin and I mess up and, and I have things in my life that I, I wish I could overcome. But, and I hear what you're saying, but is it actually true? And I want to encourage you, hang in there. You're just a work in progress. You're a work in progress. I believe as you continue to walk with Jesus, he's changing you from the inside out. He's going to give you new desires. He's going to begin to put in your heart the things of God so that your nature changes and you actually begin to want to do the things of God and you want to do less of the things that are not of God. Does that encourage you today? Come on, he changes you from the inside out. You're a work in progress. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Just take off the old. Run away from the things that represent the old. We all know how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, right? Like there are certain situations and people we need to distance ourselves from so we can embrace the new life in Christ. Like you got up and you came to church on Labor Day weekend. Like you ran toward God today. Come on, you took a step toward him today, amen? Like we can cooperate with the new person he's creating us to become. And then in verse 11, he says this. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So these were ancient ethnic categories, right? Categories that really don't mean that much to us today. Jew or Gentile, whatever, right? Barbarian, Scythian, like basically the Greeks looked at the world as either you were Greek or you were barbarian, like civilized or uncivilized. And so these were ancient ethnic categories, but we have ours today, right? Black, white, Spanish, Indian, whatever, Asian, whatever ethnicities we, we have. Here's Paul's point. The point is that the gospel breaks down walls that separate us. How many of you know that ethnicity can become a wall that can separate people? We've been dealing with that just a little bit in our country in the past year, right? But here's what Paul says. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the most important thing about you is that you're in Christ. See, when you're in Christ, your ethnicity is no longer the most important thing about you. Your socioeconomic status is no longer the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that you're in 
Christ. And so I put it this way, I might be white, you might be black or Asian or Hispanic or whatever, but if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are my brother, you are my sister, and I have more in common with you than I do somebody who just looks like me because we got the same spiritual DNA. Because who you are in Christ, I mean that. I tell my kids that. Our church family is our family. And so you have the same spiritual DNA, who you are in Christ. That is the most important thing about you. All right, let's keep going. Four truths to embrace new life in Christ. Part three, dress the part. Number three, dress the part. Paul continues this clothing analogy. Dress the part. Look at this, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves, look at this list, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul says you got to dress the part. We're the fashion-minded people. Come on, this sermon's for you today. Some of you are like, yes, pastor, you're speaking my language. I'm going out shopping right after church today. Come on, pastor talked about it. I can just put the message into practice. Come on, Paul continues this analogy, right, of taking off the old and embracing the new. He says, take off the old sinful you and clothe yourselves with the things that represent who you actually are. You got to dress the part. You know, before I went into full-time ministry, some of you may not know this, but I actually taught public school for a few years down in Texas and Louisiana. I waged the war on ignorance. I taught uh, middle school and high school English and coached for a little bit. And uh, my second year of teaching, I was fresh out of college, really young, baby face, and I was teaching freshmen and seniors. Like, I was only a few years older than, than these seniors, right? So I had to dress the part. Like, I wore a tie every day and didn't smile for like the first half of the year. Like, I had to let these kids know who was boss, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't really feel like a teacher. Like, I was so young, it was so intimidating, um, you know, and, and so I didn't really feel like a, a teacher, so I had, to, I had to dress the part. But how many of you know on my good days teaching and on my bad days teaching, I was still a teacher? How many of you know whether I felt like I was a teacher or whether I didn't feel like I was a teacher, I, I was still the teacher? Come on, here's what Paul would say to you today. You got to dress the part, because this is who you are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter whether it's a bad day or a good day. It doesn't matter whether you feel like a new creation in Christ or you don't feel like it. Don't go by your feelings. Like you have to know who you are in Christ. And so you got to dress the part because this is who you really are. This is who you really are. A new creation in Christ. Put off the old self. Put off the things that don't represent who you are anymore and take on the new. Paul says, dress the part. And, you know, whenever I come across a, a list like this in Scripture, I try to read it carefully because I see it as a spiritual checklist. So let's review this together. And, and just be honest with yourself. Are these things evident in, in your life? Maybe you need one or two of these things more fully in your life. Look at verse 12 with me again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, what are we going to clothe ourselves with? Clothe yourselves with, read this out loud with me, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Are those things evident in your life? I would venture that for most of us in that list, we're running a little bit low on maybe one of those things. And then Paul says in verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love. Love is what 
binds them all together. Come on, that's like the belt for an outfit. You know, you really fashion-minded people. Sometimes you know like the right accessory just brings the whole outfit together. Can I get an amen, somebody? Come on, some of y'all like, hallelujah, pastor, preach to me. The right belt, the right earrings, the right accessories just brings the whole outfit together. Paul says, lean into love. Love is what holds all of these together. And he says, because of who you are in Christ, this is how you should treat other people. Now, did you notice that this list of virtues and and characteristics, they're all like social and relational in nature? Like how you relate to people, right? Come on, Bible scholars, you're paying attention today, right? Humility, compassion, right? Forgiveness, the way, this is all about how you relate to other people. Let me remind you, Paul is writing to a community of Christian believers. He's writing to the Colossians, right? And, and he's talking to them, not just individually, but he's talking to them as a church. I believe as a, the Holy Spirit through scripture is speaking to us as a church today, right? The focus of the New Testament is always for Christians first to learn how to treat each other, to get this right in, in, in the church first. I've studied the New Testament my whole life. As you begin to read it and study it, you'll see, rarely does it say, rarely does it say, go out and learn how to love and forgive the world first. Go out and learn how to forgive everybody, and that's how you're going to change the world. No, no, no. Actually, it says something counterintuitive. Here's what it says. If you Christians want to change the world, figure out how to love each other within the church first. Come on. Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for each other. If you tell the world that you're a disciple of Jesus and we don't love each other, they're not going to believe us, church. They've got to see a radical love for each other. Like you are a walking advertisement for the grace of God. The church is looking at us and how we treat each other. Now, I know some of y'all are clapping and saying amen to the sermon, but I'm going to speak to you for just a moment, and we've got to get serious because some of you need to take, take some notes on this because this is for you. I promise you, if you're wondering if this is for me, this part's for you. The number one thing that the enemy wants to do to knock you off track is to get you offended at another believer. Don't clap, write that down. The number one thing that the enemy wants to do to get you knocked off track is to get you offended at another believer. So you can overcome all kind of sins and brokenness if you stay connected to the people of God. But the enemy knows if he can isolate you, he can pick you off one by one. And I know we say amen, but here's the thing. You got to realize, Paul wrote these verses not because in theory they sounded nice, okay? He wrote to them and talked to them about forgiving each other. Guess what? Because he knew they were going to need to forgive each other. Like he knew the Colossians were real human beings, just like you and me, real fallen people, right? Like with egos and pride and feelings. And so it wasn't a matter of if, but when. And I would say the same thing to you today. If you stay in a church, I'm going to keep it really 100, really real for you right now. If you stay in a church long enough, at some point in time, you will get offended. Come on, where are the church people at who have been in church for years Holla at your boy, okay? Yeah, if you stay in church long enough, you will eventually be offended. I will preach something that will offend you, I promise you. I love to offend the religious spirit, and we all have a little compartment in our, in our side of us that gets offended every now. You'll get offended by the message. The worship music will be too loud one day. The air conditioner will either be too hot or too cold. The coffee won't be perfect just like you like it at Starbucks. Somebody won't treat your kid perfectly in the kids' ministry. One of our pastors will forget to wish you happy birthday, even though your birthday is on Facebook, and you're going to get, I'm offended. Come on, people get offended. Yeah, church people get offended. I'm leaving this church because I'm offended. I expected you all to be perfect. I'm telling you, if you stay in a church long enough, at some point in time, you're going to get offended. 
And some of you may have left another church and you came here because you got offended. And I want to say, listen, this is a safe place. We love you. We named the church Redemption for a reason. Like our motive is to love you. We planted the church to love you, to reach you with the gospel. Like this is a safe place for you to heal up. But at some point in time, you got to get resolute. Come hell or high water, I'm putting down roots. I'm not going anywhere because if you keep bouncing from church to church, you're never going to grow spiritually. And so mark it down today. Mark it down today. I'm staying put. I'm staying committed. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to clothe myself with compassion. I'm clothing myself with gentleness, kindness. I'm ready. I'm ready to forgive because it's not if, it's, it's when. Here's the fourth thing. I'm going to remind you of this now, okay? I'm just reminding Weeks and months from now, when you come to me offended about something, I'm going to play the audio of this message, okay? We pre- I preached to all of us this morning. All right. Number four, <laughs> four truths to embrace new life in Christ. Number four, remember the why behind the what. Remember the why behind the what. We're going to land the plane with this. Look at Colossians 3, 15 through 17. I love this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Come on, we're putting the message into practice today. That's what he's talking about, what we're doing today. And then look at verse 17. He says, and whatever you do, come on, somebody say, whatever you do. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Come on, stay locked in for just a moment here. Paul helps us with our purpose. Paul helps us with our purpose. He says, remember the why behind the what. The why is more important than the what. See, Paul helps us. He he says, why you do the things that you do, whatever it is you do, is more important than what it is that you actually do. Look at verse 17 again. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's the point, church. We get so hung up on the what. We get so hung up on what's the one thing God wants me to do. You ever pray like that? You ever wonder like, God, why did you put me here on this planet? Like, what is the purpose? We ask what, 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 what? What's the one thing? God, if you would just tell me, if you would just speak audibly to me, if you would just email me, if you would just tell me what it is, God, I would do whatever it is, the one thing. What is it? What is the one thing? Can I just help you? We put too much pressure on ourselves with that question. God is more interested in the why behind the what. Paul says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. If you're a teacher, teach for the glory of God. If you're a construction worker, build something for the glory of God. If you're a bus driver, or drive that bus for the glory of God. Come on, if you're a financial manager, manage those finances for somebody for the glory of God. It's not so much about the what. It's the why behind you doing it. It's the purpose behind it. Your life has great purpose. It's to show somebody the love and the mercy and the grace in the redemption of Jesus Christ. It's to show them the new you, the redeemed you in Christ Jesus. So whatever you do, do it for the glory of God of God. Amen, somebody. Hey, why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray into this. We're going to pray church online. If you're watching, maybe you want to prepare your communion elements because we're going to be receiving together in just a moment. But I want to take a moment to pray into this. Would you pray with me? Come on. How many of you want this? How many of you want to let go of the old and embrace the new? Come on, church. It's out with the old and in with the new. Would you pray with me? Maybe you want to bow your head. Maybe you want to lift your hands. And I know God's speaking to our hearts today, all around this room today. He's speaking to us about different things that we've heard in this message today. But God, we're running after you today. God, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we thank you for the new life that we find in you. God, we thank you that whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new 
has come. And so, Lord, today we let go of the old. Come on, somebody needs to symbolically just lift their hands and say, God, I let go of the old. I let go of that brokenness. I let go of that hurt. I let go of that unforgiveness. I let go of that sinful habit, that that negative thinking, that destructive pattern. God, I release it to you because that's not even who you are anymore, church. And Jesus, I embrace the new life you have for me. Holy Spirit, fill me today. I embrace the new life that I have in you. Help me to think from above, to set my heart and my mind on things that are above. Renew my mind, oh God. Somebody pray that. Renew my mind, oh God. Renew my mind, God. And Lord, help me with whatever I do to do it for your glory, God, to recognize I have a purpose on this planet, to reveal your love, your grace, your mercy to people around me. Father, do it in the hearts of your people. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you convict us in righteousness today. You remind us of who we are in you. Now, Father, give us the grace and the power in your spirit to live it out in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.